0: manage the money that you're spending and make every dollar you spend as effective as possible and when you do that and you're successful at it the fleets love you for it they can't get enough of it
1: welcome to diesel stories where we sit down with professionals across the industry to hear about their journey i'm jacob finley along with chris o'brien today we're talking with troy Willick, ceo and co-founder at tdi fleet services Hey Troy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. That's yeah, great to have you here, and uh, Chris is here as well. Hey Chris.
2: Uh, hey Jacob, Troy, how you doing?
1: Good. So Troy, we have known each other for I'm trying to think. Uh, I think it's five and a half years now that it's been.
0: Yeah, I think almost since 2015. Um, 2015 September, October.
1: Yeah, maybe late August. Maybe it's early September. Can't remember, but you were our first customer. You actually took took a chance on us, we were yeah, um it was t- uh,
0: well, and you and you us
1: <laughs> I don't know about that, <laughs> i think uh, I think it was a very <laughs> woman sided thing, uh as far as chances being taken, but yeah, I remember I was when we first started, I was doing i was just calling shops and trying to get them to um let me demo them, and somehow I got through your. Your Dragon Slayer, right? Or whoever it is, right? That uh, doesn't allow calls to come mm-hmm. through. Somehow I got through, talked to you, and you agreed to do a demo. And um, that was lucky. And then showed you the demo, and uh, things just worked out. It was uh, very fortuitous. It was about probably two weeks after we started selling, uh, was when we spoke, I believe, or at least when we did the demo. And yeah. it was another. I think it was another three months before I closed a second customer, essentially. So in a lot of ways, you guys were like our kind of our pilot shop because you gave us some pretty good feedback about, um, you know, at the time we didn't support QuickBooks desktop and you guys switched to QuickBooks online to accommodate. I don't know if you remember that. I'm sure Steve does. And uh, we also didn't offer an inventory module and you guys had inventory and the the shop where we kind of built, it didn't, uh, didn't track inventory. So that was a surprise, but maybe we can go, Troy, maybe we can go back, uh, um, back in time, like before we met how, what I wanted to talk about was, um, just how you got into the industry. What is your background? Um, did you grow up in this at what point did you enter and how did you get to the point where you're, where you're owning your own shop?
0: Well, <clears throat> well, that's a lot. I will, um, mm-hmm. I was not born into this, but I was a a mechanic in the Army and uh, in the National Guard. And I I just needed a good job. And a guy that I was in the Guard with told me to come out to uh, SFE Transportation in Lancaster, Texas, and train to be a reefer tech. So I did that, and uh, I was really good at it. And uh, after a couple years of working for them and doing side work, I got so busy on my side work that I just had to make a decision. Was I going to work for a fleet or work for myself? So in 90, 1997, I went in, into transport refrigeration service uh, on my own, my own business in 97. So, and then from there, You know we, you know, reaper work. You you struggle every winter, and so Steve had come to work for me. And uh, right around 2000, 2001, we uh, we decided to um, get into the trailer repair business on the trailer side. And so, right when 9/11 happened, actually the week of September 9/11, we bought um, a trailer shop. We actually had to delay the purchase of it because of 9-11 but we steve and i bought it together and uh, we started uh, you know doing the trailer work too with uh, with that small business that we acquired um, in 2001 was that in fort worth yeah it was it was actually the oldest trailer shop in fort worth and the guy who owned it was the founder's son and he was quite old himself and he was he was tired of running the shop, and we were young and, and full of vigor. And, and um, you know, we took it really good. And our customers, our, our customers we had for the reefer work um, were happy about it. And so much that a few years after that, they pressed us into doing truck work. And that's how we, we expanded into the truck side. Interesting. So you
1: were a trailer tech. You were never, uh, you were never a truck tech yourself. Or were you in the Army?
0: Um, I did truck I, yeah, in the army, I worked on heavy construction equipment, and uh, but really mostly trucks—just tractors and decent ass. And mm-hmm. Mostly trucks. So, actually, getting out of that, I realized I didn't want to be a truck mechanic, and um, but I got into the reefer work on the transport refrigeration units, and so that's that's my background, as a ref- refrigeration technician.
1: Gotcha, and and st-
0: Steve as well, yeah.
1: Steve's your partner. He was a refrigeration tech too. Yeah. Got it.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's late nights. Uh, I imagine that's being from private fleet, uh, refrigeration. That's, that was the, that was the, pri- that was the primary, uh, units that we had a carrier. We had some thermal King. So that's late night stuff, yard checks, batteries, compressor rebuilds. Those are, um, uh, those can be difficult situations, right? Uh, weekends and nights, keeping reefers going
0: absolutely and you could never say no to a customer right. so um we yeah we averaged um 80 to 100 hours a week apiece wow and uh, i know we're scheduled every other sunday off every other night on call and we we kept that up for about six years so wow. um, and i actually didn't come off the service truck till 2004 steve came off when we bought the trailer shop in 01 but i I still was a, a mobile service tech till 04. Wow.
2: Now, um, did you yeah. have private fleets that you oversaw or was it just emergency roadside repair?
0: Mostly all private fleets. I, we did very little, um, you know, roadside repair where somebody we didn't know called us. And and that's still true today.
2: Any brand? Uh, that, or were you like a TK specialist or it didn't matter which brand?
0: No, I... Um, <laughs> I, I was factory trained uh, for carriers. Okay. And then but I had a lot of the local classes for Thermo King. And so I mean, I preferred the Thermo King units, but we worked on everything and we still do. You still work on both both brands. Hey, hey, Troy, I'm curious, why
1: why do you think it's better why did you guys feel like it was better for you to do fleet work versus like a breakdown service serving customers you didn't know? Like what are the what's kind of the advantages there?
0: It seemed like um, well, for once, the, the fleet service is, uh, the main point is, it's just repeat business. It's a longer term relationship. It's more stable. Um, so it's stuff you do over and over for them. And um, so you almost know what you're going to be doing. You can plan it. Roadside work, you're just, you're really just waiting for someone's bad luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're on the side of the road sometimes, which is not a good place to yeah, be. That's dangerous. <laughs> Especially in Fort
1: Worth, unfortunately, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you guys see any? So that pileup in Fort Worth was horrific. Yeah. Were you guys involved with that at all? Like in the aftermath?
0: No, we weren't. But I will tell you, it was um, on the freeway right by our shop on the express lanes. But it, we weren't involved in it, and none of our employees were. Mm. We had it. We were pretty much shut down that week. So we just ran a little bit of mobile calls and we only let the senior tech drive, the junior techs, the young guys. We didn't, we didn't let them get in the trucks.
1: Cause people knew there was ice on the road. Like that wasn't a surprise. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. It was no. Yeah. That was And those people that got in that pileup. I just, I can't imagine how, how bad that was for them. And that on that express lane, there's no shoulders. You're, you're blocked in with concrete barricades. Right. So that's why that pileup was so bad.
2: Yeah
1: so on so, on the fleet work, you got to think that doing mm-hmm. um the and we could look more into the data on this this would be a good question to answer, but doing work for fleets it's for it's predictable, you do it over and over again it's repeat business more stable, but you got to think it also helps make the techs more efficient because they they almost get to know the vehicles right, like the trucks and trailers
0: yeah exactly and and um if fleets have a common vehicle, you know, they're running the same kind of truck or the same kind of trailer. So then the breakdowns and malfunctions often repeat and the tech, you know, can get to them more efficiently as they've seen it before.
1: Yeah. Do you guys have a, like a rule or expectation with your customers that you don't want them taking the trucks elsewhere as long as they're in town? Is that kind of the part of the deal?
0: No, no, we don't. We don't require that of any customer. You know, I, I feel like if you're doing a really good job, they're going to want to bring that to you, and that we find that with our customers that um, they really just we grow we grow into more work with them um, just by doing being real uh, transparent and doing being honest and uh, always standing behind what you do. Right. Yeah.
2: Are you also doing like the DOT inspections? You have certified techs that are doing that and and maintaining some of the certifications required to to operate the commercial vehicles? Or is it mostly repair?
0: No, we do do, um, uh, federal DOTs. We have 19 uh, certified DOT inspectors. And then we also do in Texas, you have a commercial uh, state uh, safety inspection that uh, commercial vehicles are required to have. And we also do those. I think we have about five individuals that are licensed to do the the state commercial inspections.
2: Do you think that that's uh, a differentiator or a cornerstone item to landing fleets or, or like a minimum requirement to be in, you know, servicing fleets, servicing private fleets?
0: I absolutely do. I, I absolutely do because you don't qualify to do a federal um, FHWA inspection unless you're brake certified and Yeah, you know, I think that's the minimum, any shop working on commercial vehicles should meet those minimum standards. And I think fleets expect you to be able to perform those inspections. You don't want your fleet going somewhere else for that inspection.
1: Right. Definitely. And you guys are finding other issues from time to time during those inspections, right?
0: Oh, constantly. Constantly, even items that probably um, that uh, like in Texas, the Texas commercial inspection is really easy to pass, but it's got some odd items that are not, not in the federal inspection. So when you do those inspections, a lot of times you can find items that aren't you know necessarily going to take a equipment out of service, but the customer would want to know about that. Um, maybe it's cosmetic or just a driver comfort issue but they would want to take care of that. So we we find, um, I mean, it's hard not to find things on any vehicle, even brand new trucks.
1: Yeah. It seems like there's so many shops that don't understand that. They see themselves as a repair shop and that's pretty much it. Like they'll do the Diag on whatever they need to, but they're not doing a kind of a basic inspection. Um, I, I mean, mm-hmm. every time a truck comes in, you guys are looking looking at it, looking it over, right? To, to double check, even if it's not a DOT or state safety inspection.
0: Absolutely. and in, in, in Full Bay, with with your software, we built a check-in inspection and it's um, vehicle specific and we assign it to whenever you put a vehicle into the software, it will assign that particular check-in and inspection and it can be a short, you know, seven item list or, you know, I think there's, a half a dozen or more, or not a, maybe a dozen or more for tractors that um, we check regardless. It doesn't matter why you brought the equipment to us. If you if you asked us to, you know, check your tire pressure, we're gonna. The tech is obligated to go through this checklist, and we charge for it. Yeah, it's and a
1: it's a moneymaker.
0: You know, it's it's something you well, and it's a moneymaker, and it's also looking out for your customer. Yeah, I you think- know, yeah a lot of times drivers are not being uh, verbal or telling their their fleet operators what's wrong with their trucks. So you might be the only set of eyes they have.
1: Right. I think that's another thing a lot of shops don't understand is that the fleets appreciate you finding stuff. It's not, I mean, the pessimistic way to look at it is, oh, you're just trying to upsell me and so forth. But the reality on the ground is that they want to keep these trucks up and running. They don't want to get an out of service violation and they they, they want to know as much as they can. So it's it's actually a really nice service to to do these inspections and give them the option. They don't have to say yes, but a lot of times they will.
0: it's really rare that a customer gets upset over us doing that inspection. It's it's you know. Yeah. And sometimes it um you know, a lot of times they're they're grateful and, and it, it kind of presses them. Uh, Cause you know, those checking inspections, it's a, it's usually, it's all safety related. So um, a lot of times you're like, Oh, I didn't even know, you know, thank you for doing that. So, and it, it forces that tech into a routine and they do the, and we, ch- we check the stuff before and after the job on every job. Perfect. And so, and it forces them, you know, they have their checklist that we build in full bay and it forces them to do that. And it just, it levels us up in, this, in the industry and makes us a better shop.
1: Yeah, Troy, you guys are such a good example of doing things the right way. You totally, I think on so many things, we just see it the same way. It's uh, it's awesome. You've taught us a lot too. Mm-hmm. So. Chris, I totally interrupted you earlier. What were you going to say?
2: Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, I don't, I, for just running a private fleet I I agree a lot uh, with what you're saying Jacob and uh, you Troy one of the things that we used to look at I I imagine it still prevails to this day is um, we really cared about uptime and every now and again we'd get a we'd get a trailer or or a unit out of service because somebody skipped a DOT inspection or skipped a you know like a routine inspection and that was just one of our things anything we could do to ensure that the trucks were rolling because for us they were making us money and every time they weren't rolling we were losing money and we or we were renting equipment and it just started causing other issues and i wondered if 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 you're seeing that even to this day that uh the uptime is the most important and it's tied to that the revenue of their business um more so than the ancillary repairs
0: it is um well i mean some of these larger fleets are and they're getting so much data back through their own maintenance software or through the analytics from their vehicles and their tracking software. And they understand, you know, that if a trailer sat for two days or a truck is down, it's even worse with trucks because not only are you have a tractor down, but you may have a driver sitting somewhere that Mm -hmm. you're compensating. So um, I think it's even more so um, today than, than it was years ago just because the data is there and you can, push that data to these fleet operators and, and they understand, you know, that time is money. And when you're unscheduled, when you're off, you know, out of service unscheduled, it's costing you. Definitely.
2: I, I think the, well, one of the things that we would do just on reefers, cause we, we would have priming events. You know, we had driver programs to, to make sure that, you know, if, if we would actually measure you, if we had to call a mechanic out to prime your reefer unit, cause you didn't top it off. So we had like mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, process in there. And then we were getting down to, um, I wanted to buy batteries every 18 months. Uh, it was either spec me a better battery or, or I want a brand new battery every 18 months. Cause it was like clockwork. There's just every thousand hours that compressor was down every 18 months, we started having battery issues. So I imagine all that stuff still prevails and you guys are looking for those trends to try to get in front of that, uh, as part of those preventative maintenance programs.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you're talking about reefer units. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, and a lot of that is, is who's doing your service and are they providing you the best product? Are they recommending, you know, the best maintenance intervals and are they looking, are they getting in front of that equipment on a scheduled time to prevent all that? Cause the battery, you know, should last you five, six years. Yeah, not exactly. Months.
2: Exactly.
0: That's
1: exactly. Yeah. How hard is it to get the training on those reefer units? Because I've, I've heard that if, unless you're a dealer, there's a lot of stuff that you, you either have to figure out on your own or you just can't offer.
0: It's impossible for an independent shop to get training as, and they'll never get factory training because the dealership has to sign off on it. <clears throat> so the dealerships and big private fleets are the only ones getting you know, any kind of factory training. Um, I, I do know there are some aftermarket, um, schools, you know, like diesel tech schools that offer, um, and transport refrigeration training. And I've gone to a few and done some, um, and some talks with the students over it, but there's, there's very little training. So most of the techs we seek, we, we hire away from dealerships and, um, or you have to train them yourself. You have to sit down and, um, you know, how much? It takes five years to train a good reefer tech.
1: Is that you a know, problem? I mean, are there, good. are there more reefer units out there than, you know, can be reasonably serviced by the dealers? Like the only ones with this info?
0: Yeah, yeah, there is. And there's a lot of, um, you know, Ryder and Penskys, they get the training and they, you know, there's a lot of fleet maintenance organizations like them that are doing this. And and like us um, that are doing this maintenance and these repairs, but there's also um, probably more bad service going on out there than good. So, but the dealers and the manufacturers, the manufacturers do a lot of guaranteed maintenance. So these big mega fleets, they'll buy a reefer unit and they'll get four or five years of service and maintenance with it.
1: It's hard to turn down. but but the the oems on the reefers they Mm -hmm. it sounds like they could do maybe get a little more creative on providing training and not just restricting it to the dealers if the if they really want their Uh, units to get maintained long term because they can't expect people to you know get a brand new unit after five years and just throw it in in the garbage when the warranty period expires right or just go to dealers it seems unreasonable
0: it you know, not to speak ill of an industry, but it, that is my perspective. That's, that is completely their position is that you should not go to anyone but them. And so it's, it's difficult. And if you talk to a lot of fleets that refrigerated fleets, I believe they would concur, you know, that they'll, they'll find shops like us that are really good at it. But for the most part, you know, if they're traveling around the country, the only place to get good service where they're going to stand behind the work is the dealerships and the dealerships, they have literature. They won't even give you couldn't even buy, you know, books and, and some of these service manuals that, that aren't even available. You could, I couldn't even go in there and buy these books.
1: That's funny. It reminds me of, work on, uh, So I remember talking to a shop owner who services off-road equipment and he was, I think he was joking, but I think he was also kind of serious. He said, if the CAD dealer, my town burned down i would run into the building and try to find the service manuals or something because you just Mm -hmm. can't get them he was an aftermarket dealer so same kind of concept yeah yeah
0: yeah you have to bargain and trade (laughs) and and go to some larger fleets to get books and so i mean that's usually how we've been getting them these fleets that can that get signed off and their techs get to go to the factory schools we get you know service books for them if we go in and Fleet a service a big uh, like um, not Target but somebody like Target they have big reefer fleet and they have a new unit out that we haven't seen we get, we get the literature from them so we can you know learn what what's new on that reefer unit just try to make it work yeah
2: yeah and and it's it's to your point you're like when you're buying several million dollars worth of you know carrier units we spec'd an entire fleet uh, with carrier at one point and you're right we, we had factory reps coming out. Uh, training our shop, training extended shop techs, et cetera. Um, so a lot of what you're saying, I can completely relate to it's locked up and they, they really wanted the contract. So unless you recruited their techs, you, you weren't getting the talent. Um, you you had to have a maintenance agreement or you negotiated it right into your contract with, with a backup vendor. Um, so hey Troy, very interesting. Hey Troy, how hard was mm-hmm. it?
1: Did you say 2004 or 2006 was when you stopped working the service truck? Two thousand four. Two thousand four. How how yeah. did that happen? Um Steve was already in the office. Steve, your partner. Mm-hmm. Um how did that I was come spending about?
0: More time on the phone. Yeah, I was I i catch myself out doing reefer work, you know, and um I was just on the phone more and I couldn't get things done. I was trying to solve problems. I think at that time we probably had um maybe about twelve technicians and and steve and i were um we were the parts department we were the pickup and delivery equipment department and we ran the shop we were payroll we did all the back office it was just us two so it got to a point where um he just he needed help or we were gonna have to hire somebody to come into the shop so it it was you know it was also hard to give up you know i had been on the truck and i enjoyed doing that and and, um, it was, you know, it was kind of a love, hate kind of deal where I didn't want to uh, get off the truck. I still have my old service truck too. It's a 99 service truck. We still have it.
1: Someone else is driving it.
0: No, it's, 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 it's a yard truck now. It's, it's, it won't make it going down the road, but <laughs> we still have it.
1: Uh, were you the awesome. best reefer tech at the time you stepped down?
0: I'm, I'm real good. I don't know. There's probably some guys out there that are uh, more update on current products, you know, current reefer units, but I still solve a lot of problems for our reefer techs and even, and customers, you know, help them troubleshoot. And I still build the compressors. So I'll build the carrier compressors in my home shop and uh, Therma I do, we build all our own compressors for our customers and, uh, and I still build them myself.
2: Really, I, I I heard You know, I was talking to Steve a while back about setting up some parts. I didn't realize it was you. I thought you were subbing that out, but you're actually doing the rebuilds yourself. That's uh, interesting, mm-hmm. and I imagine cost-effective with your skill set. That can be fairly lucrative if you're the reman. You're basically remanufacturing your own parts to to resell. So you've cut out all the middlemen, and you're you're just sourcing your parts and cleaning up. I imagine you're cleaning up the. Uh, cylinders and putting it back together
0: yeah carriers is a like an engine Thermakings, um you can do everything new so if you've got a good core and you just buy everything brand new and make you know make sure the oil pump and everything is the um, the right specs on that but you can make them new carriers have you do have to bore those out oversize the cylinders and line bore the main the main bearings on the crank but so few people are doing it Thermo um they don't sell rebuild parts to the dealerships anymore so the dealerships don't build so you have to buy factory remands from both brands so um there's only a handful of people in the whole country building them hmm. so we don't have any problem selling them but i but i don't build too many i just do them for our customers we don't sell them out to people we only Sell them to customers and install them.
1: So it's one of the benefits ourselves. of being one of your customers. You get a hand-built compressor. Yeah, and, the owner.
0: and we can yeah. save them a, a ton of money. It's a ton, a ton of money.
2: Yeah, I was going to say.
0: Yeah,
2: mean, yeah, you have a process there that uh, could actually grow, right? Because your skill set is very, oh, very hard to find. I mean, even back in
0: it's uh, Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you have to put the brakes on, or and even building motors because no one's. No one's building these engines, to, especially, uh, well, these tier four motors, the low emissions engines on these reefer units. Um, nobody wants to rebuild them because you have to get them recertified. And so it's easier to buy a factory rebuilt that's already gone through the certification process to put in your reefer unit. Hmm. So oh. we build a lot of motors.
2: You were hearing back in the day, and this is in the, in the heyday of, um, I don't know, 2006, fuel prices were soaring, seven, the, the economy was booming. We were starting to um, contemplate and you know, we started speccing carrier units with electric backup so we could plug them into the dock. And, you know, it just it mm-hmm. became it wasn't even cost effective. The amount of power we, we were going to have to pull new power lines off the grid to to the campus and rewire the building and i mean we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to put this infrastructure in and then fuel prices went down because the 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 number of years to pay it back was too great we got tesla and all these other brands out there with electrification on the trucks are you have has that technology advanced in reefer units where electrification is more realistic and there's there's different power sources
0: um I haven't seen it in any publications there. I mean, standby, electric standby has been around forever and um, you find it on tons of local fleets, especially dairy fleets, uh, like Oak Farms, dairy, um, Bordens and people that load their equipment, they sit overnight, the route trucks, Mm -hmm. um, pizza, pizza trucks. We have several customers that um, pizza trucks that are, the cold plate trucks that are yeah. electric only and they absorption plates. So um, I, I know okay. they're doing um, some, some natural gas and Therma King's played around with the carbon dioxide powered units that uses that carbon dioxide. And as it off gases, it, it powers a motor that runs the fan and then the carbon dioxide goes through a coil and absorbs the heat out of the cargo area. But I haven't seen any like something like Tesla on a reefer unit that would be all electric. I haven't seen any yet. It's feasible. I guess it takes about 25 to 40 horsepower to run, you know, like a carrier It's carriers like a lot of horsepower. So they do have all electric though. Carrier does have an all electric unit that has the engine runs a generator that runs, uh, you know, like an O 60 all electric compressor.
1: Really? So it's a diesel electric hybrid, mm-hmm. basically like, like trains.
0: Yeah. It's a, it runs on diesel, but then it, but the engine is just running that generator. And so you have a fully hermetic or a semi-hermetic compressor, which lasts a lot longer than, you know, an engine driven compressor.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, there's a quote from uh, Bill Gates floating around where he makes the case that for uh, light and medium duty vehicles, electric uh, can make sense. Just from the physics of it though, it doesn't really work for heavy duty and any long haul applications uh, because of the way that the battery, so on and so forth. And so the current thinking is that uh, diesel electric hybrids would be the, if, if there were electric motors driving like long haul and heavy duty applications that they would be driven, uh, the electricity would be produced by a diesel engine. And so that's interesting that that's, uh, that's there in the reefer unit. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of that.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Frito-Lay ran down here in Texas. They ran a bunch of electric vehicles, Uh, and I can't remember the brand, but they were from Europe, like Eastern Europe. They were like one of those Eastern bloc countries. And we helped them them pull them out of service because you couldn't get parts for them, Um, and so as they would break down, we would disassemble them and, and catalog the parts for them so they could keep the fleet going. But I think they're down to not having any these days.
1: Interesting. It's like, uh, Iran yeah. with the F-15 fleet. You know about that? They,
0: yeah. And I, and what, but without the government subsidies, I don't think fleets can afford to run these electric vehicles.
1: Yeah. At some point, you know, they say at some point it's gonna, we will hit the tipping point where it does make economic sense or maybe massive government mandate shoves the tipping oh. point forward. We'll see
0: when they push fuel up you know, like Chris said, when they were going to spend $200,000 to bring electrical infrastructure in so they could run their reefer fleet on electricity while their equipment was parked, you know, year four, they'll force us to.
1: Yeah. Right. And Chris, what was the thing? Like if somebody forgets to disconnect one of those.
0: Yeah. Those
1: umbilicals.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was like forty power. It hits the ground. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 480 <laughs> to- days.
2: Yeah, we were I mean, like, that's some serious power that that that's uh, that is some serious power. And so, you know, like a guy, pull, it's going to happen. I mean, we used to do it with cold plate trucks. You know, I was driving a coal plate truck in the early 90s <laughs> delivering ice cream. And uh, mm-hmm. we I don't know, it seemed like once a month, every uh, twice a month, some guy pull out cords hanging off his truck as he's driving down the road. But that was just standard, you know, standard power, and we just we were really concerned too that you start laying 480 out on a dock with a cable tethered to your reefer, and your guy's not doing his pre trip, it's not disconnected, live wire on the ground in the rain, um, huge safety concerns.
0: And that's a lot of wire. I mean, if you're if you're oh, bringing it from the back of the trailer to the front, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a oh lot yeah, of and cable. then.
2: We even spec some equipment to have the pigtail at the back of the trailer just to shorten the run. So we, we were going all in. We, we had bought a, a pinch of trailers to do that. And it just, it really just, it was safety item after safety item, infrastructure after infrastructure. You know, we, we had a 50 year old building at the time. And I mean, you just can't bring, you just can't use the infrastructure in your building when you're running that kind of power. And you know, 100 trailers mm-hmm. parked indoors and stuff like that, it, it starts to compound quick. But I think it's going to co- still continue to come around. I, um, I, it's interesting to see, hear coal plates are still going, and I, I don't even know we, you know, the servicing of those is is probably more likely and more scalable that method for short haul. But I, I would agree with you, Jacob, too, that uh, and the, the quotes from Bill Gates that this is going to be a tough uh, thing to crack going. You know, uh, all 50 states, and with 80, you'd have to raise the 80,000 pound limit and uh, start to really adjust some of these payload issues. Otherwise, what are you going to haul styrofoam containers with your electric truck? Because <laughs> that's about mm-hmm. all you'll get. You you're know, hawing, you're hauling <laughs> batteries. No out.
0: Yeah, at the end of the yeah, night. exactly. I I really think long term the solution is hydrogen. So you're you're still in a combustion. Type engine and uh, a lot of portability on power and you refueling instead of recharging, you know, sitting for hours to recharge something. So I really, my, my opinion is that the future in energy for transportation is in hydrogen.
1: Right. That's the other side of it. It's either a diesel electric yeah. hybrid or a hydrogen fuel cell, uh, which is a, uh, yeah. generates electricity. No emissions. Yeah, yeah, just there's no emission. Yeah, yeah. One of my old college roommates uh, is helping run one of those companies. We'll see if it becomes the, you know, the, the leader. The, the one of the big challenges is building out a hydrogen fuel network, right? Because you you're going to run out of hydrogen, you know, in the middle of Kansas, and you need to be able to refill. And currently, you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just pull up on a major intersection and find hydrogen or compressed hydrogen or whatever you're going to do. <laughs> They got to build that out.
0: No, you have to, you have to have water, you know, I mean, they, they have to have the, they can do it, but I think that on the scale to put it in a vehicle is they're not there, but it's where it's just water, you know, you separate the water, the hydrogen out of the water.
1: Yeah. I guess it takes a ton of energy to do that separation. And that's what, Mm -hmm. when they, when the hydrogen and um, oxygen atoms recombined, you've got the, that's what generates the, the, the force of that, reaction generates the electricity coming back in so to get them separated in the first place um i guess that's one of the challenges too just how much energy it takes to Mm -hmm. reduce the hydrogen
0: yeah yeah
1: we'll we'll see yeah a lot of smart people working on it
0: smarter than me (laughs) smarter than all of us Um,
2: (laughs) troy you know circling back to these fleet programs i always thought it's fascinating like a lot of folks ask us how do you get this thing started how does a program like that get put together?" And I can't tell if it's just experience uh, or maybe they're starting in the industry, but there's, you guys have like a process that you go through where y- you just don't fire up a deal and cut them the best. Y- y- you got the cheapest prices around. So you land a fleet. You actually put put programs together. And, and, and in some cases you charge them to run the program and it comes with services. Like h- how does all that kind of come together? How do you guys like pull that together? Just, to- somebody help you do that? Or did you guys invent a process for setting those kind of deals up? Um,
0: I think it just kind of over the year, over, you know, 25, 26 years we've been doing this. It just, it is what's better. It's the best method. And it's, you know, it's like the truth in maintenance and um, you really can't escape it. And so um, it's, it's not hard to, it's, if you can prove it, you can sell it. So you, and with, and with full bay, it's really easy to prove the effectiveness of a program. Cause we can, we can, you know, show uh, a new fleet, what we're doing for an existing fleet, you know, and uh, we can redact, you know, the customer's name and stuff, but it's, if you can prove uh, the effectiveness of it, it's not a hard sell. And so, and I will tell you the customers that resist that you might, you know, we we back away from those customers. They're not they're not an ideal customer to have. I don't know that we would say we won't wouldn't help them, but we don't pursue you know that type of customer that's not really committed to um, good fleet maintenance and committed to running a a real safe fleet. And um, yeah, because they
1: don't necessarily you know, understand their own best interests, and that makes it tough to. Hash out a kind of a win-win arrangement with them when they don't understand what a win is for them.
0: And, and 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 some of them are so stubborn you'll never change their mind. And it it usually takes a catastrophic event to get those sorts of fleet managers on board. You know, with a with a str- a strategic plan to manage that maintenance. That Chris, that's how we approach it. Is is management not really? Hey, how often can we get in there and charge you for a PM, and can we get you to approve all these other repairs? It's it's from the perspective is can we manage the money that you're spending and make every dollar you spend as if as if effective as possible? And when you and when you do that and you're successful at it, um, the fleets love you for it. I mean, you know they. They can't get enough of it. We just had an international fleet ask us to take care of all their equipment in the state of Texas. That's just, awesome. And we sell them the managed maintenance, yeah. Yeah, and when it.
2: you say managed maintenance, like you're, 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 you're taking on the life cycle. Like you're saying, okay, I'm going to set up your, your intervals per the spec of that particular equipment or that manufacturer. We're going to ensure that, you know, we, we, we change the oil at the right times. We do in dry services, inspections, like you're just covering it. So they don't, they don't even have to worry about it. You, you, it's turnkey trucks will run and we'll hold a, a, an uptime level. Uh, per se is that is that how you approach it
0: exactly you know exactly and so it takes it takes a lot of effort you know to to do that but but you know not like a broken record but with full bay it's, it it that tool has made it so much easier for us to stay on top of the data to communicate with the customer for the customer to respond back to us and so it's no longer like this this humongous task of going through paperwork and tracking uh, fleets on a whiteboard or, you know, or begging them to work on something. Um, a lot of the fleets, you know, we, we can message them and they, they message the driver and they bring the equipment into us. Or we, you know, we do the PM reports every month and sit down with them. And we not only, um, you know, go off of manufacturers, Recommended uh, recommended maintenance, but we interview the customer and you know what are their plans for that equipment? What's their their true trade cycle? Um, how are they going to use it? You know, customers that are going to drive a truck for seven hundred fifty thousand miles are different than customers that are going to go four hundred thousand miles. Mm-hmm. You know, so their their expectations um, are different. Those customers are, yeah.
2: That makes sense.
1: Some, yeah, totally. And uh, Troy, the, the point about some fleets don't get it, there's a majority of the fleets are smaller. Um, I can't remember the number, but uh, a huge chunk of them have 10 or fewer units and they don't, or maybe 20 or fewer, they don't have the expertise in-house to to pay attention to fleet management, at least to the kind of the uh, preventive maintenance plan, so on and so forth, even though they're required to by the DOT. And I sh- a shop offering this service to, to do it for the fleet just makes so much sense. But I, I hear you, they may not have even realized that that's a, that's a priority. Um, I mean, cause in their defense there, a lot of them are former drivers who felt like they could uh, make a run at it on their own and start buying units. And they're, they're running a, a business that's working, but until, you know, the law of large numbers kicks in and something catastrophic happens, they n- may not realize the advantages of, of doing this.
0: Exactly. You know, and exactly, they're, you know, they're not much different than me back in 2004 when I was trying to run a, a trailer shop and on, from a service truck, you know, and you just, you get overwhelmed or you're, you're tired, you know, and you're, oh, I'll check that tomorrow and you never get around to it. So if you have a, a company like TDI Fleet or, or people are similar to us that are willing to Track that for you, manage you, not just really manage it for you, but not just remind you, but to help you manage that, you know, Um, anybody can tell you, Hey, you need to change your oil every, you know, 35,000 miles, or we're running this oil, we're going to go 50,000. You need somebody more, you know, they, they need more than just somebody going, Hey, you need to, it's time to change the oil. You know, they need somebody to recommend, um, better maintenance practices, you know, different types of tires or a different kind of oil for you, or, you know, look at, you know, you know, what aftermarket stuff would suit you better, you know, for your mission.
1: If you're talking to, uh, like you in 1997, right. You're just starting out, you're talking to, uh, somebody who, who's, you know, shop is doing, um, mostly just waiting for calls to come in and, um, is more kind of reactive than proactive, uh, but has technicians, is in a decent uh, city that's got uh, plenty of fleets. What would you say to somebody like that? Somebody that was teachable um, and you had a chance to talk to them. What would you say to that shop owner?
0: So they were just, uh, they're running like mobile breakdowns and, and um
1: yeah.
0: I, I, or not no, even I, mobile,
1: not even mobile. Maybe just waiting for stuff to come in the door.
0: Oh, uh, I think I would recommend, uh, if they don't like selling, I would recommend them, you know, getting uh, somebody in to do marketing for them. Um, I know we wouldn't survive without uh, sales and marketing. We wouldn't be able to, you know, we just wouldn't keep busy. <clears throat> you know, I would recommend, um, you know, at finding a really good salesperson that can also be an ac- account manager um, to help maintain those relationships, find, you know, go out and find those relationships for you and, you know, Finding that person, that fleet, that you can um, help them move forward and grow grow with them, um, you know, would always benefit you. And then that person, you know, if you're a mechanic like I was and started a company, I, I can go out and sell and call on customers, but I, it really wasn't where my passion was. So we went out and found uh, – people that that, that was their passion. They like to go out and cold call and they like to uh, uh, manage those accounts and help maintain those, um, those, you know, the PMs and help track all that stuff for us. So I think for a small shop, that's just getting um, emergency work and they're trying to grow. I think um, a lot of people underestimate the power of uh, effective sales force, you know,
1: marketing. And that Salesforce is selling what?
0: Um, You know, they've got to sell that service package, you know, um, to to keep you in compliance and to keep you from unscheduled breakdowns. You know, um, if I can, it's a goal of ours to not have our customers not to have flat tires. That's one of our main goals. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're keeping that customer from having to stop on a route or, you know, if they're long haul, having to go into a foreign shop in another city, and they're, then they're coming to you for everything and you're, you're preventing those, those headaches, very expensive road calls for them, um, that's what you have to sell. And you can't, you can't do that without getting in front of that equipment on a regular basis and then managing what you're fixing because you can, you can easily um, outspend what that customer can afford with you. And I think maybe that's a problem with a lot of small fleets is they would look at a service like ours and they're like, Oh, I can't afford that. I mean, because a lot of shops refuse to manage, mm-hmm. you know, what they're selling to that, to that fleet.
1: As in they they, and by manager, are you talking about getting, making sure to get authorization for repairs or
0: the shop's not managing it properly? Yeah. and, and, and not just um, not just expecting the customer to to do everything you've recommended, but to help plan ahead for um, you know for, to schedule these things as they come in, and and and, and um, you know when they feel like you're on their side and you're gonna you're not just trying to uh, you know invoice them, you're you're right. in business with them together and you're you're making plans and you're forecasting um expenses you know we can go i can go into a fleet and we can get a you know a a fleet report from them and then i can come back and tell them what they're going to spend all year on on preventative maintenance and i can get you know uh, their maintenance records and how much you've been spending on tires and i can i can start to forecast that and then i can go to fleets that I do this for and I can show them how I've taken them from, you know, a high cost down to a lower cost with, um, you know, no surprises or very few, you know, uh, very few breakdowns. It's and interesting. That's, that's an easy sell. Yep. <clears throat>
2: yeah. And Troy, that's uh, that's very similar to the way we did it uh, at, at the private fleet that that, that I managed. We uh, we looked for somebody like you or partnered with somebody like you until we until we brought it in house, and then we, we basically hired you is what we did. Um, but we uh, a guy like you, but that, that the guarantee what you're talking about is that like a true partnership. Like when you're saying managed and how this is forming, it's a true partnership. And when you establish that with a shop like like yours, like TDI. Um, the the uh, you we had these caps where you know we were both um, motivated to not spend over two million this year, or we were both motivated for preventative maintenance to not get over a certain number this year. And it's by doing the work that you're talking about and the forecasting, it helps a large fleet or it helps control costs, right? Like now I can put a budget together as a fleet manager mm-hmm. and say it's, it's 10 grand a month. And that prevents the 20 grand uh, episode or, and the, the loss of an entire load or, or, or a customer. And, and it makes it very easy to budget. And then if you can get on a cadence like that, it, you, you're truly, you're hitting on some things when you're referencing managing that. That's critical for a private fleet uh, to have those costs under control. Otherwise, um, they have issues, fi- financial issues, right? As they're rubbing pennies trying to trying to
0: make dimes. Yeah, um, and that's not good for anybody, right? You know, that's definitely not good for the shop. You know, if the fleet is struggling.
2: Right. You want them as healthy so, as you are as a shop owner. <clears throat> so if they're healthy and they're making money and you dropping a little bit more money to the bottom line, cause you got their fleet costs under control, you're, you're hitting these caps or these thresholds where you won't go over this maintenance threshold or this cap. Uh, it's definitely, it changes it to a partnership that's being managed in a managed relationship. So I totally get where you're
0: coming from. Mm-hmm. And just been tracking, you know, the uh, full day allows us to, um, you know, if I can, if I write up 10 items, but three of them aren't mission critical items, you know, full bay lets us set those repairs aside and then we don't forget or lose them. You know, they're, they're there for us and we can, we can plan for that repair we can build that service order out and schedule that equipment for the at a future date. So, um, you know, we don't forget it or we can, if we're ahead on the budget, we can go, Hey, we'd like to, you know, let's catch up on all this and that's going to make the next quarter better for you. Mm-hmm. And so, and that, that's what I mean in the sense of managing, you know, Hey Troy,
1: what we've been talking about is it's one of the key distinctions between a commercial repair shop and say a retail repair shop where people would take their personal vehicle to get fixed. Right. Cause those repair mm-hmm. shops are more transactional based. They're not, you know, maybe some of the more advanced ones are tracking some PMs for their customers, but really there's not a huge demand from that, from like the general population. And so retail repair shops are very reactive and transactional, but so many of the concepts are, are the same. Would you ever, or have you ever seen this? Um, would you ever recommend um, one of these retail repair shops to start taking on some commercial work, maybe start hiring some diesel techs that can uh, that can do that and so forth. Do you think there's a bridge there where somebody running a retail shop could kind of morph themselves over time into d- doing more commercial work or is it just too far, too too big of a gap?
0: I don't, I, I, think, I think the successful ones do it. I mean, if you look at Firestone, they're probably one of the largest automotive retail organizations in, in America and they are they do tons of fleet work. You know, if you've got a fleet of cars, you know, um you you have a Firestone commercial fleet account. And so uh, Fire I know Firestone does it. Um Christian Brothers here in Texas, I don't know where they may be all over. I know you see fleet vehicles there all the time. So there's a lot of you would think mostly a retail outlet of pet boys. I think they do you can get a fleet contract. I don't but I don't believe they're Doing heavy duty,
1: they're doing white you fleet. Know. The light. I don't duty know vehicles. too many.
0: Yeah, they're you know maybe a, a one ton pickup might be the biggest vehicle. Yeah, they're doing so. I don't know, you know, I don't know much retail in heavy duty. This, I mean, there's just not it, the customers different.
1: But at the end of the day, they're you know, you know even though it's a, a light duty fleet that they're servicing, what you're talking about still applies. Maybe. <laughs> Not quite as much because the heavy duty vehicles are tearing themselves apart through daily operation. Whereas those light duty vehicles are maybe more Mm -hmm. uh, hardy because they're not carrying, you know, 80,000 pound loads and so forth. So maybe it doesn't uh, quite translate. Well,
0: you know, there's a lot to learn, though, from these retail outlets and not just, you know, uh, Christian Brothers. Uh, I had to use them one time when I was in Austin and I was completely impressed with their process and we took some things we learned from them and applied them to our business and um you know quick trip is much to be admired their their process and and how they treat their employees and we took we learned a lot from them and applied it to our HR and what we do you know with our own employees so there's There's, there's so much to learn from six other successful businesses in different industries. And um, a lot of it's not being applied into our industry for sure.
1: So for commercial repair, working on these commercial vehicles, medium to heavy duty vehicles, the play is you got to, you got to get a close relationship with your customers and, and take over uh, or help them at least with the tracking of their PMs and making recommendations on changes to be made so on and so forth. That's. That's the play.
0: It is the play and, and to, um, and unburden them with that so they can run their company and they're, but you have to, you have to prove to them that you're, you're going to do it, you know? And so it's, it's, um, it's a daily thing, you know, and it takes, a, it takes a lot of effort to follow a lot of the pieces of equipment and make sure that you're, you're doing everything that you sold you sold it in that you said you were going to do. And I will tell you without good fleet, without good shop software, it's impossible. It was before we met y'all, we were, we were horrible at it. You know, I did it, I did it on spreadsheets and it was, it was tedious and nobody liked to do it.
1: Great to hear. Glad we could help. And we have to continue working every day to, (laughs) uh, to keep doing that, Uh, just making it better and better. And there's um, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and by the way, Troy, uh, you, I know you guys are into motocross. Are you guys still doing that?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we actually, we, we did it yesterday. So, yeah, we're still active racing in our amateur circuits here.
1: That's cool. And you're not working. You don't have a service truck anymore. Obviously, Steve doesn't either. Um, are you guys generally working on the business these days versus in? Or how's that looking?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've been... Um, Yeah, we've been able to, you know, turn our focus um, from, you know, the daily, you know, just chasing invoices and chasing receivables and um, to operational efficiencies or, you know, um, Steve's focus is he focuses on the like the CFO side and I do operations and meet customers and that's what I like to do. And I, I will tell you before Full Bay, it was just. Um, you know, we couldn't, we wouldn't have been able to grow without, without that software. We wouldn't have been able to be the size we're at. We, it was, it was hectic and we've probably doubled our size since we've had the software. So it's, it's been a key, um, in helping us provide a higher level of service to the customers with considerable less effort.
1: That's awesome. It's gratifying to hear i'm glad to hear you say that considering i was the one that chased you down and was the annoying person on the phone trying to get you to demo so it's it's nice to hear that it worked out
2: i, I like how you uh, yeah. embrace it too the workflow uh, it's you know when you when you reference process and one of the things that we have like a lot of folks will look for invoicing software they just want to produce that invoicing and and that's it the end but um you know that that workflow and having a process and process improvement, everybody's got to be rowing in the same direction, following the same kind of format. And uh, I, I agree that a software has to have a workflow to it that keeps everybody going in the same direction. Otherwise uh, y- you could just fall into an invoicing trap, right? Where you, that's, that's all your software does. And that's, that's not going to help you grow your
0: business. Well, you Or you end up with a lot of invoices that the customer is uh, unaware of that instead of $600, it's 800, you know, and now you're in a, now you're in a discussion, you know, with that customer. But so with full Bay, if, if you, you stay in that process, you know, it, it's just all that stuff goes away. Protects the customers always aware of what's going on. Yeah.
1: Protects the owner. We preach it. Yeah.
0: Yeah we're a full Bay shop and we, we live in full Bay and we stay in full Bay. And that's why I preach it. You know, that's awesome. any kind of, anytime we have a problem, it's because we've left our process, the process that's inside the full Bay software. Whenever something happens, there's an issue. What happened? Oh, well, we did this and you weren't in, you know, we, we left the procedure and skipped something. That's, it's always the case. And when we stick to that process, we don't have problems zero problems
1: awesome well that's a that's a great way to end uh troy, i really appreciate your time yeah. uh and uh hope to speak to you soon see you soon once this pandemic's over i guess it's okay it's over in texas now right
2: yeah i think so
0: yeah. well i think it's so oh, yeah it's over i got a haircut today they made me uh wear a mask but it's pretty much you know we're ready for it to be over here yeah
1: crossing our fingers thanks a lot troy yeah talk to you soon
0: all right guys All right. Thank you. Thanks, Troy.
1: Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diesel Stories Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and check out dieselstories.com for more episodes.